podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to episode 153 of GigPod, the Glasgow is Green podcast. I'm your host, Rizzo, and I'm joined on this episode by Stevie. How you doing, Stephen? Doing very well. I mean, after a hard day at work on a Monday, no less. The dream is always never to come home and relax, but rather put up with you for the next half hour or so. I'm, I'm great. Thank you for asking. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine as well. And now I'm sure all regular listeners, of which there are many, will be stunned that I'm in the hot seat and I'm asking the questions for once. And the reason for that is I missed the game against St Mirren because I was in good old London town. I went to the West Ham Chelsea game, which was uh, all right, I suppose. Not as good as Celtic v St Mirren because there were six goals in that game for a start. There was only two in the West Ham Chelsea game. So I missed that game and I've only saw the highlights. But Stevie was there in person. He was at the entire game watching Celtic turn in yet another, well, interesting performance and an interesting game where VAR was a talking point as usual. So, Stevie, are you ready to be grilled on this episode of GigPod? As always, John, yes, I am. <laughs> okay. Right, so I won't bother asking you, what you how you got to the game and if you went for something deep before it. The fans probably aren't interested in that either. So, we'll start with the team news. And there was a re- one real change, and it was David Tumble making a rare start for Celtic in place of Rio Hitati. Were you surprised with the team? Were you expecting more fringe players to play, like O, for example? Or were you thinking that Angel just stick with the, with the same guys as usual that's got us playing so well this season? I don't know if Angel really calls them fringe players. Like He does have that saying where he sees it as a, a squad rather than a first eleven. He's got a squad that's just ready to play, basically. I, I, I'm still expecting um, the likes of Haksabanovic and Abada to be starting these games and I don't know why I don't know why I do it to myself because at the end of the day the manager will always pick the strongest team possible and you know for all that I always think ah, the manager will play the strongest team possible and that may be contradicting myself there because David Tumble comes in and I was surprised with that especially against St Mirren bear in mind when they played against us in January I didn't think they were all that bad I know we won 4-0 but I think the scoreline maybe flattered us slightly. I think uh, Kyogo was just red hot that night and Hitati was spectacular. So Mirren weren't terrible. I mean, they actually came at us and they had a go and they did the same on Saturday. But when you remember that Moy and Tumble played together and there was just no pace in that midfield against them uh, when we lost our only domestic game of the season, I, I was actually surprised, yeah. I was uh, really didn't expect to see Tumble starting. I know that he's what, had three goals in the last five, six games. I just I wasn't expecting. It. I thought the manager was going to go with Hitati just to sort of blitz it with him from the start. Didn't really quite work out that way. Um, but yeah, I think Tumble coming in was the only true uh, surprise for me. I would have to say, John. Right. So the big moment early on in the game was Kyogo suffering a shoulder injury for the second time this season. Happened against Rangers when he was forced off after just a few minutes. It happened a bit later on. This time we don't know yet how long it's going to be out for. Ange was pretty vague. After the game, he did say he was going for a scan, but there's no news yet. And he was replaced by Lila Bada. It wasn't O. Instead, uh, Dyson moved into the, the centre. He went up front, 
What did you make of that change? Did you think that there was any chance at all coming on, or did you expect Dyson to go through the middle? I think for this game, I, I did actually expect O to come in. If it was a league match, I wouldn't have. But because it's a one-off cup game, I was expecting O to come on. But no, um, in the end, it was justified, though, because like Abada set up Moy, who set up the first goal for Dyson, you know, who was through the middle and scored. So you've got to say Angie's justified and deserves the credit for that change. I thought it would be all, but... It wasn't really who was playing through the middle after that. The big concern was Kyogo. If we still had uh, Gigi, I don't want to downplay the fact that Kyogo is potentially going to be out and he's going to be missing really important games. Um, but also, it was a bit of security there with Gigi for the fact that he's not a, like an unknown player. Um, he's been able to do it for Celtic in the past, um, especially in the bread and butter games domestically. Even if he didn't score against Rangers, they always roughed him up. But with oh, you don't know what you're getting now. I do think oh is going to be a better footballer than Gigi. I think he's better with the ball at his feet. He's better outside the box. He can link up the play. He can go out wide. And I think he will be a handful in time. I'm quite concerned if Kyogo's going to be out and he's missing the Aberdeen game and the Rangers game. Because, again, I was screaming for us to bring in a, a third striker, even if it was uh, on loan, just to the end of the season. All that pressure on O is a bit unfair. He's barely managed like an hour all in uh, combined game time so far, and you're throwing him into a game against Aberdeen, but it's going to be a battle, and then potentially throwing him into that Rangers game as well, the final, which is just it's massive. John, we've talked about it. Um, it's probably one of the biggest finals against them in recent years, what I can think of. So, yeah, I think when he went off, I was quite gutted at that, and I just hope that as Ange says, he has a quick healer. When you think about the cup game as well. Was just drawn against Hearts. That's going to be huge too. And if we're over relying on O, I just think that's massively unfair, and it puts a lot of pressure on the guy at twenty-one years of age. I would agree with that, but the thing is, we've still got players that can chip in with goals, even if Q goes out. And I hope he's not. I hope he's back for Saturday. But we've still got players that can chip in. Look, we scored five goals on Saturday without our best striker. And the first goal, you mentioned it. It was good play by a bad at playing Moy. It was a brilliant ball by Moy and. Dyson's finish was one that Kyogo would have been prouder. He nicked in ahead of the defender and just touched it into the back of the net. I thought that was a really good goal. And I know we're talking about Moy non-stop, but it was a, a great pass, by th- a great cross by him. And Dyson, I mean, he gets a lot of stick for missing chances that are quite easy. That wasn't an easy chance. And I thought he finished it brilliantly. It was a real striker's goal. And as you say, Andrew got vindicated with that decision. Not once the movement was exceptional, actually, if you watch him. Um, the way he peels off his defender, goes to the front pro- uh, front post. It's pure Kyogo like, but it was a perfectly weighted ball with Abada. Um, and Moy timed his run well. And it was a great ball across as well. It was a good team goal, especially at a time that we really needed it because St Mirren were coming right into the game. And as I said, John, they weren't actually playing poorly at all, putting us under a wee bit of pressure when they went forward. So I think we really needed that first goal, especially, you know, with a bit of a blow with Kyogo going off. If we went in at half time, no, no. But without our top striker and everything, it gives St Mirren a bit of a lift. They go into that second half with their tails up and you don't know how it would have went for us. I know that, of course, we'll talk about the subs later and they made um, a massive difference in the game. But you just never know. All it really takes is a break at that point. And as a cup game, it's a one-off and it could have went either way. Now, as I didn't see the game and I've only saw the highlights, did anything of note happen between Celtic's goal and the three subs we made just after the hour mark, did anything interesting happen that you can remember? If not, we'll just move on to the next topic, the subs. In terms of on the pitch, no, not really. I wouldn't say it was dull, it was quite intriguing. Um, St Mirren obviously came to have a go and fair play to them. Um, they were backed fairly well as well. Um, they didn't have as big a crowd as Morton the round before, but 
they certainly had more than what they did in the recent league game. But no, I think St Mirren, um, to their credit, actually came and they tried to frustrate, but also stay in the game for as long as possible and hit us in a break. I don't think Joe Hart had, had a lot to do. But at the same time, I wasn't fully relaxed until we got that second goal because, you know, for 75 minutes, it was very much in the balance and it could have went either way. But no, to answer your question, up until that moment of madness where the referee missed that handball and it went to VAR yet again, there was nothing really of note. Well, there was a banner about uh, the esteemed match official Douglas Ross that was unveiled and... Uh... He's a he's a great guy, of course. Yeah, him and these officials had a had a great game. But uh, enough on him. So we made three changes in the sixty third minute. We brought on Rio Hatati for Aaron Moy, Matt O'Reilly for David Tumble, and O for Jota, and it paid off. The three of them scored. And I know you want to rave about Rio Hatati, and I'll let you do that in a minute. But I think we better talk about the second goal, which was, of course, a penalty. And Stephen McLean was the referee, and he somehow managed to miss a. Stonewall handball for Richard Taylor, who handled it in the box on the goal line when Leela Bada had had a shot. It was grinning in the net. It was goal bound all the way. Somehow he he didn't give that. Good old VAR intervened, and we got a VAR decision, which we'll no doubt be hearing about for the next century, same as how we got that penalty in the last round versus Morton. And Rio Hitati only just managed to get it in. I thought Trevor Carson might have saved it when I saw on. Their highlights, but thankfully Rio Hattati managed to get it in the net. I know we don't like to talk about VAR and referees that much. We're no Stephen Gerrard. But that was just dire as ever for officials and Stephen McLean. How did he miss that? I mean, I saw it right away and I was up off my seat. I was like, that's a handball. And the fact that he just played on was just astonishing to me. Um, or it should have been astonishing and I remembered who the referee is McLean's always been a balloon but he's again so, so the rest of them in that league and I don't really want to give them a lot of airtime so I want to be positive talking about you know great goals by like Hatate and O'Reilly and the performance of Hatate in general um, usually with some Celtic players on that team if I was to go through the 11 I'm going to be confident of quite a few if they stepped up to take a penalty but with Hatate I knew that he was going to put it away and yeah I think as soon as that went 2-0 and they had the man sent off and I have to say by the way the Sender off, I thought was harsh because I don't think it's a deliberate handball. It was a handball, but I think the red card was a bit of a harsh one. And again, as you say, we're going to be that's going to be used against us, John, isn't it, for the next uh, three months, pretty much until the end of the season. No doubt that on Saturday, if there's a dodgy decision or whatever, that will be cast up time and time again. So I thanks for that VAR. Thanks for that, Steve McLean. Great guy. He <laughs> certainly is a great guy. And I'll let you talk about Rio Hodati more after we finish talking about the last couple of goals. Oh, what a moment. He got his first goal for Celtic. And I thought it was a good finish. It was a shot by Carl McGregor, a rare shot by him. Trevor Carson made the save. And O showed good striker's instinct to hammer the rebound in. And his celebration was pretty good as well. And for what I heard, he had a good game. He had another effort in the side net. And I think he put a shot just past the post. How impressed were you by O? I really like the look of him. His movement is excellent. He's got a fantastic touch on him as well, but he really likes to bring other players into the game and he seems like an unselfish player too. I was happy for, for him when he scored too. I think the majority of the crowd were as well. I mean, just you heard the reaction when he scored. The fans were buzzing and he got a great reception when he did. And I hope that gives him more confidence and it gives him a bit more self-belief now because that's all he needed was just a goal because his general performances have been good. As soon as it went 3-0, we're pretty much on easy street. And I know Simmering got a goal back after that, but it didn't take the shine off it. It was one of the highlights of the match. It wasn't the highlight of the match, but aye, fantastic to see from O. And here's hoping that he gets another very soon, hopefully this weekend against Aberdeen. 
Yep, as you said, St Mirren got a goal back and it was a penalty. And Mark O'Hara scoring after Carol Starfield had committed a daft foul in the penalty box. And I saw that VAR took uh, forever, I think, in that one as well. But we don't need to dwell on that. Instead, another two goals for Celtic. And Matt O'Reilly, his first goal of the season. And that was a good finish. And I think it was a goal he needed. And Rio Hatati finish off the scoring with another excellent goal. Probably the best goal of the game. A, a brilliant finish at the back of the net. And I know after the game when you text me, you were raving about Rio Hatati and how great it was. So the floor is yours. Talk about how good Rio Hatati was against St Mirren. Yeah, before I do that, I, it was just very good to see Matt O'Reilly finally scoring. Like we've said, you know, he's all round play for us. He's been fine this season and he's weighed in with so many assists. We don't need to cover all ground, but that was a great finish. It um, wasn't easy the way that he guided it past Carson. Um, was impressive and he took it so well. It was like the Matt O'Reilly sort of goal we would have seen last season. You know, that one against St Johnston and the finish against Hearts, for example, at Celtic Park. Um, he just swept it in and he made it look so effortless. So well done to Matt O'Reilly. Hopefully he can now add more for the rest of the season as well. But yeah, talking about Hatate, John, it's it, not just the goals, but it's as soon as they came on, we just looked like a different side completely. Uh, the intensity levels picked up, the, the energy levels picked up. We were, oh, the, the quality was just night and day from when Tumble got the ball. We were like, stuttering, we were very passive whenever he had it. We were checking, he was checking back a lot and I don't want to seem like I'm hammering Tumble. When you look at David Tumble and what he contributed to Celtic um, last season, you know, between the start of the season and when he got his injury, it was a big reason why we were keeping up with Rangers, who were at the top of the league at the time. But I do feel Hatati has taken Celtic and that midfield to another level. I think he can do things with the ball, not just like what David Tumble can't do, but even guys like Callum McGregor can't. Um, his vision is exceptional. His movement, when he's on the ball, his different class, he's constantly got his head up, John, and he's just so selfless. I've never seen Rio Hitati make a... I've always said, right, he does take risks and he loses the ball from time to time, but he's willing to always take a risk and always looking to play the ball forward and it might not come off all the time, but it won't stop him trying to do it again and, you know, when they do come off, it's it's just a joy to watch and it's it's got such a positive impact in Celtic and he really does make his tick and just on Saturday, as I say, the game was in the balance, and as soon as he came on, we, we just looked like a totally different side, and we looked more like the the team that the manager wants to see week after week. I think Hitati, his ceiling is the highest out of everybody in that midfield, and I include Matt O'Reilly in that as well. And just when you look at the way that he took that goal to make it 5-1, it, honestly, there's not a lot of players that... It was like the longest one to ever. He just switched it out to Abada. The way that he found space in that congested penalty area as well, and he just lashed it, but it was so controlled, and it was by far the highlight for me on Saturday. Of course, the banner was another one. You mentioned that earlier, but Hitati's goal, honestly, right up off the seat, applauding it, and it's just why you go to the football, isn't it? You go to see performances like that, you go to see goals like that, and it was just pure entertainment, and I think that's the main thing with Hitati is, John. He's a real entertainer. I never go to Celtic games when he's playing, and I never, I never get bored by him. Whenever he gets the ball, there's just a lot of excitement there. You're eager to see what he's going to be doing. He's been a pure joy to watch. And I hope we get another season out of him. I think we will. But I think, realistically, we've got to start maybe preparing ourselves mentally for the fact that he might not be in a Celtic player for much longer after next season, which is a bit of a bummer. But that's what Ange has also said to us, isn't it? After the Yananovic and Gigi departures too. He did. And... Uh, he did play very well, Hattie, from what I saw, and I'm looking forward to seeing him in action on Saturday at the game, which 
as a real fan, I am attending. Right, so that's enough about the game. Now, the next part of the Scottish Cup drama, the draw, the confusing policy of the SFA to continue and make the draw at strange times, not on television. Continued earlier on this evening when the draw was made at half five on the SFA YouTube channel, which is just odd to me. Uh, the draw was made by two fellas from Biffy Clyro, a pretty crappy band from Scotland. And the ties are as follows. Inverness versus Kilmarnock, Rangers versus Rafe, Darvo or Falkirk, who are playing the night, versus Ayr, so one of them is going to be in the semi-final, and, drumroll, Hearts versus Celtic at Tynecastle. What a, what a game that's going to be. And the game is going to be played on the weekend, the 11th or 12th of March, just after my birthday, fact fans. But it won't be on the Sunday, the 12th, because Scotland are playing Ireland and Murrayfield in the rugby that day, so... The game will probably be played on the 11th of March at some time. And we will most likely have the full stand that like we used to get at Tynecastle behind the goal, which we probably both went to in many occasions, many exciting Celtic Hearts games. And I did see us beat Hearts 3-0 in the Scottish Cup back in 2004, where Petrov scored twice and I think Larson scored as well. That was a, a great day. So, what do you make of the draw? Interestingly enough, we're going to be playing Hearts twice in five days because we're playing them in the league on the Wednesday night on the 8th before. And we've got them now in the Cup. And my one prediction is Robin Nielsen won't play his bizarre attacking formation like he did versus Rangers a couple of weeks ago at Tynecastle where they played like 5-0-5. I predict that they'll be gone hell for leather in this game and... Of course, they've got that VAR system where they constantly get decisions. I'm sure that, that won't be a factor at all, right, Stevie? Lauren Shanklin definitely won't be getting a penalty in the first 10 minutes of that. By the way, I was at that game in February 2004 as well. Petrol's goal to make it 2 0 was a screamer, from what I remember. He rifled it into the top corner. That was a great game. Um, I was also looking, we've played Hearts twice in the Scottish Cup after that at Tynecastle. We beat them 7 0, and we also beat them 4 0 too. But I do think this is going to be far tougher. We're not going to see. Any of the types of results next month when we play them there, not a chance. It's going to be a very difficult game. And my, I think Hearts are going to treat that as their cup final. Like They've pretty much got third place sewn up already. I can't see anyone else in the league catching them. I think Hearts are at that level where they're far too good for anyone else in the league. They're miles behind Rangers and ourselves. That match for them is going to be like their cup final. And I think you're right, they're not going to play like Barry Mackay in midfield and Snodgrass isn't going to be playing at like wing back or something or... I don't know what tactics uh, Nielsen deployed against Rangers, but no, I, I agree with you, John. I think uh, Nielsen is going to treat that as the biggest game of the season for Hearts, and it probably is, isn't it? It's going to be very difficult. I think it's one that the team will sort of relish as well. I think the fans will be up for it. Hopefully it's like a late half-five kickoff as well. Um, that'd be cracking. Under lights at Tynecastle, it would just be a right poisonous and bitter atmosphere, but that's a good thing. I think this team would thrive off that. And we've went to Tynecastle already, remember, um, this season in a very difficult game and we've overcame VAR and we've overcame Robbie Nielsen and his tactics to win 4-3 there. But no, I think the fans will be up for it and the team will be up for it. And it is a definition, John, of a cup cracker. Hopefully it is on a Saturday and we can get to the pub and watch it and you can, you can buy me a birthday drink as well. That would be a great thing for a party to do. And just one other thing, see that 7-0 win over Hearts? Was that not the time that Lenny memorably said that it was a footballing utopia, much to our hilarity? Did he not say that after that game? That was a season where we had just literally, I mean, no competition at all. I mean, Aberdeen, don't make me laugh. 
and also like Hearts. That was the worst Hearts team ever. I believe they get relegated that season. I think they started the season off minus 15 points or something. Uh, they were shocking. I don't even think we played that great football, by the way. Like We scored a couple of screamers, but we weren't brilliant. Hearts were just abysmal, and Lennon, Lennon does what Lennon does to quote uh, a certain Livingston manager. Nail up to him getting knocked out of the weekend, by the way. <laughs> it was hilarious. And by the way, just before we talk about the Aberdeen game, I thought I'd let the listeners know the list of games that Celtic have got up until the break for the internationals. We've got obviously Aberdeen on Saturday, then Rangers in the cup final, then Samirin away, a chance for revenge after their one defeat, Hearts at home in the league, Hearts away in the Scottish Cup, Hibs at home in the last game before this, the break for the internationals. That's six games which will have a, a huge impact on our season. And if we can win them all, and there's no reason why I don't think we can go and win a treble. And I know we're always talking about the laws and averages and all that and how can Celtic keep winning. But I'm confident if all goes well, if we don't do anything daft, and if more importantly VAR behaves normally, that we could win all those games. I know Hearts away is going to be difficult. St. Murn away will not be easy. The cup final as well. We'll be talking about that more next week. We'll have a special preview out for the fans. But, I mean, I've got confidence in a Celtic team, and I think everybody should, that they can win every... They can pass every one of these tests. I mean, okay, I'll be a blow if Kyogo goes out, but I'd still be confident. What do you think about that? Are you, I know you won't be... Are you confident that we'll be able to win these six games that are coming up before the break for the internationals? I think without Kyogo, I wouldn't be confident in us winning every one of the games, John, no. So you can slag away all you want, but I think we have to have our strongest team available if we want to win every one of the matches. So without Kyogo, I don't think we would, no. Before you say that, I can't be- well, I can believe that you'll not get massive confidence in this remarkable Celtic team that wins endlessly, just keeps on winning, but hopefully... Hugo will be fit, and we can win these six games. So the first of those games is this weekend against Aberdeen at Celtic Park, a game we'll both be at. And I'm not really sure what to expect for Aberdeen. They've not got a manager at the time of recording former Celtic semi-legend Barry Robson, a man who did once elbow Christian Daly in the face after 10 seconds of a Glasgow derby. One of the greatest Glasgow derbies, in fact, we beat him 2-1. Jan Venegel's the last-minute winner. He's in temporary charge. They've been playing absolutely terrible, apart from the last game where they beat Motherwell. And then Motherwell ended up sacking their manager on Saturday. So, I mean, I'm not really sure what to expect for Aberdeen. I don't think they'll be... I don't think they'll play that terrible negative football that they played under Jim Goodwin in the game at Petodre, the first game after the World Cup, which we watched together. I just was a chore to watch. And their fans that I know couple of Aberdeen fans and all went ballistic about that. They couldn't believe how how they set up. I don't think they'll play like that, but I think that'll give us more chance to exploit it if they go forward. I think we could catch them out pretty easily at times. Don't think it'll be an easy game. They'll try and make it a battle, but even if Kyogo isn't playing, I think we've got enough players to get the win and it's going to be an interesting day because on a rarity Rangers are playing at the same time as us at three o'clock on Saturday. They're playing good old David Martindale's Livingston, so don't think we are expecting Rangers to drop points there. But you never know; they did draw one each there, one each at Ibrox Livingston earlier this season, so you never know. But don't think it'll be the easiest games. I think Aberdeen will try to make it difficult and hit us in the break, but I think we'll have enough on the day. So my shoot prediction is Celtic three, Aberdeen nil. 
Stevie, what are your thoughts on the game? When I look at Aberdeen's away record, though, they've lost nine. They've only won two games and they've drew one as well. Um, they've lost fairly heavily on the road, too. And when you look at the form we're in, up front, I mean, for, for example, Jota, right? Jota wasn't great. Uh, I actually felt Ryan Strain uh, marked him very well on Saturday. But then when you saw Haxabanovich come on, you get way more space and um, he was able to exploit that to great effect for us and he looked very threatening when he came on. If it isn't working out, we've got so many options on the bench and that's just a real positive for us just now. It's, it gives me a lot of comfort. I just go into every game expecting a battle, John, and I don't think Saturday's going to be any different. But I think we'll have enough to beat Aberdeen. I think we'll probably win, I'm going to say. But anyway, we haven't actually battled Aberdeen under Ange. Um, I think the heaviest win we've inflicted was a 2-0 at the start of the season. Every game last season was like one goal in it. And then you remember the game after the break when McGregor had to score fairly late on too. But I think this is going to be one where we're going to win, I'm going to say 4-1. Celtic 4, Aberdeen 1. And I just look at their defence and their away record. It's pretty dismal, John. I think it's all about them picking up points against teams like, you know, they're on a level with Kilmarnock, St Johnston, Ross County, Motherwell, Dundee United. I think but it's a bridge too far for them. Right, so Stevie, thank you for letting me sit in the hot seat for this episode of Gig Pod, and we'll be back to normal next week where you'll be asking the questions and I'll be providing the answers. You're very welcome, John. Thank you for the grilling. I hope, I hope you managed to cope with those intense questions. So, thanks to Stevie for letting me host this week's episode of Gig Pod. You know where to get us by now on all the usual podcast platforms. Leave us reviews, five stars, tell us how great we are. You can catch Stevie on Instagram and on Twitter at GigPod. The Instagram stuff's especially good, loads of good content on there. And we'll be back next week with a couple of episodes, would you believe? We'll have the review of the Aberdeen game out next Monday or Tuesday. And then the build-up to the cup final. We'll have a preview for that and We'll have a post-cup final extravaganza as well, no doubt. But we've got Aberdeen first, and that game is the most important. The next game is the most important, as the cliche goes. So, thanks everybody for listening. We'll speak to you all soon. Good luck to Celtic at the weekend, and hail, hail.
Sports Social Podcast Network.